Consortium welcomes you to the third episode of Vaccinated. We're so happy to have you here. The COVID-19 pandemic has wreaked havoc on our lives in 2020 in both overt and subtle ways. One of the many negative consequences is that routine adolescent and young adult vaccinations have had a precipitous decline since the spring. Despite efforts made over the summer to return to regular rates, these immunizations have not recovered. For example, orders for flu vaccines are down by more than 9 million orders this year compared to last year. As we anticipate the emergency use authorization of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines from the FDA in the next few days, we'd like to take a moment to focus on how important it is to keep up with routine immunizations and share some information about the upcoming COVID-19 vaccinations. Today, we will be speaking with Dr. L.J. Tan, Chief Strategy Officer for the Immunization Action Coalition and member of the Unity Board of Directors. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Vaccinated. Today, we're joined with LJ Tan. Before we talk about the COVID-19 vaccine specifically, I wanted to talk about adolescent immunizations in general. How have adolescent immunizations been affected throughout the COVID-19 pandemic? Oh, I think in terms of immunization coverage rates, they have been dramatically impacted. So when we did our, um, you know, restrictions in spring, uh, in terms of movement, uh, shelter in place, so so to speak, um, a lot of uh, adolescents ended up not getting vaccinated. So either they didn't get vaccinated, or if they had started vaccination series, like for example, HPV, as you know, is a two-dose series, um, they got their first, but didn't get their second. So so a lot of uh, adolescents continue to actually be under immunized or not immunized, even as we speak. So I think uh, we need to, um, there is a strong effort. There was a strong effort before our surge that happened in the last couple of months, uh, last month. Um, there was a strong effort over the summer to try to get a lot of kids back in. So a lot of the pediatric rates for children, that means not adolescents, but young kids were coming back up to where they were almost back to where they were for pre-COVID, not quite, but almost. Um, but unfortunately, because the emphasis have been, has been on the kids, the adolescents and adults remain lagging. They still, are, they still are far behind the younger children. And unfortunately, obviously, as they begin to catch up, we now hit our second surge and everyone's now like going, wait, 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 do we go get vaccinated? And the answer is yes. You say it's safe to get routine immunizations? Yeah, absolutely. I think the after going through what we went through in spring and watching that incredible precipitous decline in immunization coverage rates, I think we need to to be very clear that one of the safest things you can do is get vaccinated. And that's because firstly, the benefit, you're protecting yourself from these other vaccine preventable diseases, but also um, the facilities that you go to get vaccinated, be it your pharmacy, your student healthcare facilities, and your colleges, um, be they, um, you know, uh, adolescent medicine specialties, your family physician, your, your hospitals. They are right now exquisitely prepared to give routine immunizations. That's great that there's confidence in going to doctor's office for vaccines because uh, recently there's been a lot of buzz about the COVID-19 vaccine that is coming out shortly. When do you think that vaccine will be available? Yeah, so I think the way the CDC has been working at 
target populations because as you know, we're not going to have enough vaccine at the very beginning. So the, the, the limited doses that we have at the beginning are going to be focused on people who, who really need it. So um, I think the CDC has met. They, 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 the advisory committee gave them advice last week and they focused in on two populations, right? Healthcare workers and the um, uh, people in long-term care facilities. And the reason for that is because we don't have enough vaccines at the startup to, uh, to, to get. So, um, so I think that's where the focus is going to be. For us, and I mean us, the majority of us, you know, we probably won't, be, won't have access to vaccines until probably, I wanted to say April, May or June, depending on how many manufacturers get a get authorization and so on and so forth, right? And I think um, one of the great things I want to say is this, this idea that I think younger adults are going to respond best to this vaccine. I mean, it's a very effective vaccine already just from the data that we've seen, but young adults having healthy, vigorous immune systems are going to respond very well to this vaccine. And so, um, and then we couple that with the fact that we know that adolescents and young adults tend to transmit the disease but not show symptoms. Um, I think it's one, one of those main reasons why we're encouraging young adults to get vaccinated. Colleges, schools, work. I mean, young adults and adolescents are going to be a very mobile population. And as we know, when, you, when they get COVID-19, they don't, they don't necessarily suffer the same consequences as an older adult might. Now, that's not to say that it's harmless to young, young adults. I think that's a myth we want to make sure young adults are aware of. It's not, while your, the percentage of young adults will suffer negative consequences are lower, so I think we don't want to we don't want to send that myth out there. But that being said, a lot of y'all will catch it and may actually be transmitting it, but really not feel that sick. And so I think it's imperative that we all kind of do our citizens' duty, right? This is the idea that you know, I'm I'm going to catch it. Um, some of some of us may suffer long-term consequences, but a lot of us may not. For those of us who will not, we need to make sure that we don't give it to people who will die from it urge young adults to be seeking this vaccine. And finally, you're going to respond best to the vaccine anyway, because you're young and you've got healthy, vigorous immune responses. So what I'm hearing is that young adults and adolescents should be getting the vaccine for multiple reasons. Could you talk a little bit about maybe like the top three myths that you've been hearing about the COVID-19 vaccine and why they're myths? So the first one is that the COVID-19 vaccine was rushed into development and therefore is unsafe. So I think um, while indeed um, it was, it, you are seeing this vaccine faster than we've ever seen a vaccine uh, come to the arena for use. Um, I think one of the things we want to keep in mind is that um, unprecedented resources were thrown into making that happen. Those kind of resources are not typically available for most vaccine licensure approval processes, which is why they take longer. So that's one of the big things we want to keep in mind. I mean, because of unprecedented resources being thrown into it. So, so I think that explains why we were able to get it there. And then to assure on terms of things like safety and effectiveness of the vaccine, you know, I want to remind everybody that, you know, the, the first two vaccines coming out, they're based on a technology called mRNA. And I want to remind folks that while we've not had a licensed vaccine, um, from that technology, we have had vaccines developed and actually gone into clinical trials. So, for example, when the first SARS virus was, uh, came about and then when the MERS virus came about, vaccines were actually gone into phase one, phase two clinical trials because they were anticipating that if those things did not go away, we would have to deal with them, right? And so, fortunately, they went away, so the vaccines were never put into use. But we have a lot of experience with the technology that, are, that it's been used to create the current vaccines. 
And that's why I can sit here and say, you know, while we have never licensed a vaccine using this technology, I am very assured that the technology is safe and that the technology is effective. And then finally, obviously, as you know, FDA has gone through, they're going to do an expert panel review. That's going to actually happen on December 10th. And they're going to look at all the data that came out of the clinical trials that two manufacturers have done. And I think looking at that data, um, they will be able to, to say for they will, will say that, you know, that the vaccine is safe and effective. And then if that's the case, they'll be able to issue the uh, emergency use authorization. Now the myth I hear a lot, and this one I hear a lot from friends and people who don't know, who don't know the vaccine science. It's the same thing you hear for a flu. Um, if I get this vaccine, will it give me COVID-19? Right, the answer is no. <laughs> the technology itself, uh, you know, as you all know, it's an mRNA platform. The mRNA is, uh, is, is, is used by, the, by, the, by your cells to make a protein component of the, of the virus called a spike protein. That spike protein is then made by your cells, which then causes the immune response to respond to just that protein. So as many of us know, proteins can't cause infections. This is not a live virus vaccine. So, so I think that's, that's put that myth away along with the myth that surrounds flu vaccine. Flu vaccine is the same thing. You cannot get flu from the flu vaccine. You cannot get COVID-19 from the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, and then um, the last myth I wanna, I wanna put out there regarding the vaccine is that, um, is that you know, a lot of people are thinking that you know, we're going to, once we get vaccinated, um, you know, it will be like this elixir, right? That we're magic elixir that we're all, all going to be able to walk around and, and be free and easy again. Yeah, I think that's true to a certain extent, but I want to warn people that we don't know how long the vaccines are going to last, right? So it may be something where we'll have to come back in a year, like the flu vaccine, or in two years, or it may not even last that long. So we'll know more as we continue to observe our clinical trials. The so people who are in clinical trials are continuing to be watched. And as they go down the road, you know, we'll keep following them. And so you did a really good job of kind of explaining to, you know, the non-scientific person um, about how the vaccine is kind of made. Do you mind going into an explanation about how it's distributed to the public? and how that distribution ensures that the COVID-19 vaccine is going to be effective and safe when distributed? Yeah, so, so the nuts and bolts, it's obviously extremely complicated, but I think a couple of things to just keep in mind. The, the, the great news, CDC's in charge. They're going to be doing a lot of the nuts and bolts of the, what we call the implementation of the program, right? So the, that means what? That means essentially depends on the vaccine. As many of you might be aware, Pfizer vaccine has very rigorous storage and handling requirement. That's because right now that vaccine needs to be stored at minus 70 to minus 80 degrees Celsius. So that's really, really difficult. So the way the Pfizer vaccine is going to be implemented is uh, when they make that vaccine, they're actually going to be shipping the vaccine in special shippers. CDC will take the request from all the states, look at how many doses are coming from the manufacturers that we have. Pfizer as well as Moderna have both promised doses by the end of the year. Um, and they're going to say, all right, we don't have enough for all of y'all. So we're going to allocate, we're going to allocate. Right. And so what CDC will do is they'll say, New York gets this much. It's not going to meet all your needs. So you're going to have to, once you get the, get the vaccine, decide how you're going to allocate it inside your state. That's going to happen to all the states. Right. And then once the states, that's all figured out, CDC then tells Pfizer when the vaccine's available, this is how much you ship to New York. This is how much you ship to all the different states. And specifically with the Pfizer vaccine, it's going to go directly from Pfizer 
to the immunizer, the person who's going to give the vaccine or the system that's going to give the vaccine. And that's because of those rigid storage and handling requirements. Once it gets to that healthcare system, the hospital, whatever, they would have made the decision saying, you know, I wanted X number of doses. I only got Y number of doses. I'm going to have to prioritize who gets those doses. So for example, one of the CDC has said, if you're in a healthcare system and you're a healthcare provider that got COVID, unfortunately, in the last three months, you don't need to be vaccinated right away. Move them to the bottom of the list. And then that's going to happen until we have more vaccine. The Moderna vaccine is a little different. So the Moderna vaccine, because it's not as rigorous in terms of storage and handling, there is a system that CDC has set up where all the vaccines are going to go into a, a hub that's, that's, man that's uh, managed by a distributor. And that distributor is going to take the vaccine when it comes from Moderna, and it's going to take what they call an ancillary kit. So we give with the vaccine all the things you need to give it. It includes the vaccine card. I don't know if you've heard about the vaccine card. This can be a card that, that people will get. Uh, so it includes that. It includes syringes, all of that. So we call it an ancillary kit. That distributor will take the ancillary kit, it'll take the vaccine, and it'll package it, and then they will, they will then send it to the states. And the states will do whatever they need to do with it. So they, did, they bypassed that middle person. They went, they're going straight to the distributors. But that's how we're going to ensure that the vaccine stays well handled, stays competent, stays effective from the moment the manufacturing facility releases it to the moment it goes into the arms of patients. In this whole process, which has so many working parts mm -hmm. to it, what is the biggest threat to the success of the vaccine? The biggest threat is the same thing like, you know, I'm dating myself, Kevin Costner's Field of Dreams, when he said, if you build it, they will come. I'm very much worried that what if we build a vaccine and no one comes? So I think the biggest threat to our program is if we don't do a good job doing what we're trying to do here in this podcast, assuring the adolescents and the young adults that when it's time for them to get their vaccine, they're going to get a safe and they're going to get an effective vaccine. And that we need to do that well. Because if we build this vaccine and no one comes, we're stuck in the same boat that we are right now. Right? A, a bunch of people without immunity, we're going to be sitting at home because people, we don't want people to be dying. So I think we need the vaccine to get out of this pandemic. And so I think our job is to ensure that our young adults, our adolescents, understand why the vaccine is safe, understand why the vaccine is effective, understand that this is a reactive vaccine. This is not a vaccine like the flu vaccine where you get the pinch and you get a little bit of a sore arm and then generally you're okay. This vaccine is reactive. So in other words, you're gonna get that sore arm, you may get that headache that lasts a couple of days, you may get, um, uh, you may get fever that's gonna last two or three days. So we need to make sure that our young adults and our adolescents is you know, kind of aware of that that they're aware that there is going to be this reaction so that they will say, okay, I'm aware. And the reason why that's important is because we don't want people going, hey, man, that first dose really hurt. <laughs> so I'm going to just kind of not take that second dose because that was painful. So we need to make sure that they know it's going to hurt. So I think that's my biggest fear. What if we build a vaccine and no one comes? We really do want to assure, uh, especially adolescents and young adults, that you know they're they're the key to the success for this, and we we want them to be you know graduating from high school just like I got the chance to graduate from high school, and so it's it's really important we all participate in this.
Thank you for listening to this installation of Vaccinated. For more COVID-19 vaccine information, you can go to the CDC website, which includes a landing page with great COVID-19 resources, unityforteenvax.org, which also has a great page for COVID-19 resources, and vaccinate your family. As always, check out Unity on our social media accounts at Unity Consortium. We're on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. 